Page 959 if you're using the Pew Bible. Malachi 2.10. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As the man who does this, um, as for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with with uh, sex, accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard. Okay, so um, he he starts, and there's two things going on here. One is marrying foreign women, all right? And so, ladies, no offense, but in this culture, in this time, women were not considered people. They were considered property. All right, so if we were to transport this up to 2018, we'd see that this really works both ways. So we need to, we need to understand that. But, but the first thing is that you shouldn't marry someone who is not a follower of Jesus. That's on this side of the cross. All right, but what they were doing back in Malachi's time is they were marrying women who worshiped foreign gods. And God said very clearly in Deuteronomy, you shouldn't do that. And the reason that he said you shouldn't do that was not to be bigoted or to say that he didn't love those people. He said, when you start intermarrying with people who worship different gods, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be led down a road to worship those gods as well. It's going to be the natural result of what happens. You think that it's not going to happen. You think that you're going to be strong enough and you're going to convince them to worship the way that you worship. But what's going to happen over time is you're going to start worshiping their gods instead of your God. God said, I, I, I'm not in favor of that. He said, so you, you shouldn't allow this relationship to begin in the first place because that's what, where it's going to end up. So Judah has been unfaithful, verse 11. A detestable thing has been committed. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob. So the idea is, is you know what? If you're going to do that, then you need to be kicked out of the community. Malachi's time. We need to get rid of you. That God said it's a detestable thing. It's an abomination. It, it, is, it, it is something that will lead you to violate the very first commandment. Right? You'll have no other gods before me. The Hebrew there is very interesting. The literal translation is you'll have no other gods before my many faces. Sounds bizarre, doesn't it? But what God said was you'll have no other gods before me, behind me, 
above me or below me. There will be no other gods even that are legitimate. See, that's where Judaism brings in a whole new picture of, of what God is. God is a monotheistic God. And, and so when you worship a monotheistic God, the idea is, is that there are no other gods to even be considered. And God said when you intermarry with people who worship other gods, you are bringing into your life the possibility of breaking the first commandment. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's interesting. Um, this is way more information that you, than you care about, but... In the Hebrew, original Hebrew, there's no paragraphs, there are no periods, there are no uh, exclamation points or question marks. Those are all added later. So verse 13, many scholars think that verse 13 actually goes with verse 12. And so what it says is, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. And the reason they say that is because it was a common pagan practice to go and worship a pagan god and fall down before him and just weep. And thereby get his sympathy. And so what apparently was happening is the Jewish men were coming to the temple and doing this at the altar before God. And they were already allowing this pagan practice into who they were. And God was saying, see, you shouldn't marry women who are outside of your faith belief system. A couple of obvious things for us. The first one is, if you are here and considering getting married, if you are on that road of doing that, one of the, the first criteria should always be a person of faith that is pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? Sometimes what happens, our society has gone out of our way uh, to convince us that we need to pursue our soulmate. Don't really know what that means, but it's become a common thing. But, but here, here's, here's the deal, is that if, if that criteria is not met, the rest of them don't matter. The rest of them don't matter. See, we have an Old Testament example of this. Solomon, the wisest man. You know, he's famous for the story of the baby that he almost cut in half, right? A woman had a baby. Two women had a baby. One of them, the baby died. And so the other woman, she stole the other woman's baby. And they began this dispute about whose baby it is. And so they brought it to Solomon. Solomon listened to both sides. And he said, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll cut the baby in half and give half to each mother, since we don't know. And the real mother stood up and said, I would rather the baby live. And Solomon knew that it was her baby. And so the wisest man that ever lived, he's known for this great reputation of knowing the best things to do. And he became so incredibly powerful and so incredibly significant in the world that kings would bring their daughters to him. To marry him for peace's sake. And before long, Solomon had 300 wives from all over the world. And the wisest man that ever lived began to worship the foreign gods that the women brought with them. Because even those that have it all together can be led astray by that. And so I think it's essential for us to realize that as we go into this relationship of marriage, to have someone who, as Paul would say, would say equally yoked, that they are pursuing faith as we are. Because marriage is tough anyway. But if you marry someone who is pursuing something completely different in faith, what's a, that's a mess. Well, there's a follow-up, I think, and, and, and a principle that's important for all of us, and, and that is this, is that... Those who are closest to us 
those who are in our inner circle, they need to be people of faith as well. Now, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying in all your relationships you have with people who are not believers. That's not the point, right? We are here as ambassadors and representatives of King Jesus, and we are to bring his love to this world, right? And we do that through relationships. But there are those people, that circle of friends who are closest to us, that know our heart and soul. They need to be followers of Jesus, the ones we do life with. Right? Because if not, we're going to be led astray. Have you ever worked in an office where there was someone who was always negative? Man, everybody, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what happens after time, over time, is if you listen to that long enough, you begin to be negative yourself. If you're not careful, anybody else ever notice this? Wow, you know, I guess it's okay to be negative. And so without realizing, we join in and we jump in. And the flip side, if somebody's happy all the time, it may annoy us at first, but eventually we realize, you know, I want to be happy too. And so this, it's real simple stuff for us as human beings. Who we surround ourselves with is who we're going to be like. It's real practical and real obvious. And so God was a much bigger thing than just friendship. In marriage, you need to be this way. But I think we need to understand this principle that those we surround ourselves with will guide us in one direction or another. Okay, so I think that's obvious, but but I just sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget and we let our guards down. All right, so God jumps on them. He is upset about this reality. They're marrying foreign women. They are, uh, for whatever reason, they're attracted to them. For whatever, I don't know if it's a, a physical thing. I don't know if it's they have better rules than we have. I don't know. Maybe there's not enough Israelite women around, but but they are intermarrying with the wrong people. And I'd say that needs to stop. And he was very frustrated about that. But then he says, here's what I'm really ticked off about, though. This is the thing that really, really makes me angry. So he goes on, verse 13, or 14, I'm sorry. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the God, the one God, made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Be on your guard. And so what God says, what I'm really, really ticked off about, and apparently some of the men were leaving their wives to go marry these foreign women who worship foreign gods. And what God said I'm really, really upset about is the fact that you are abandoning your marriage. That's what I'm really ticked off about. That's what really frustrates me. And I think it's very obvious for us to see that, man, we need to rediscover that. We need to rediscover this reality that as followers of Jesus, marriage is a lifetime gig. Man, the world has taught us different stuff, right? The world has made it so clear and so obvious that, hey, it's not a big deal. $139, you can get a divorce in Florida. No problem. Just go online and follow the links. Hollywood teaches us, you know, if you really don't love them and really don't care about them or it's just uncomfortable, get out. Be true to yourself. Be true to who you are and who you want to be. And so all of a sudden, the world is teaching us over and over again that this marriage covenant thing, this marriage agreement, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. 
Because you're what matters. Your happiness is what this life is all about. And God says, that really ticks me off. And we as followers of Jesus, we are held to a higher standard. And we should understand that we should work diligently to make these things work. So let me just say up front that marriage can be very tough. Right? You don't know that yet? You haven't been paying attention? Marriage is tough. And so you you add on all of the things that go on, and and God brings a male and a female together who see the world so differently and says, I want you to live together and love each other for a lifetime. Man, that in itself is a challenge. But if we go into it with this idea that, hey, if it gets too hard, I'm getting out, it's not going to work. And so we need to run into these relationships in marriage, and we need to say, you know what? I want to make this work. I want to do everything I can to make this work. And it takes two people working together to make it work. And God says, when you take this lightly, that really ticks me off. I'll have couples who come to me who don't go to church here, and they'll ask me to do their wedding, and I'll say, why do you want me to do it? So, wow, we like the church building or whatever. I said, listen, by bringing me into this, you're bringing God into this. If I give you these vows and you say yes to them, you're not saying them to me. You're saying them to God. And this is a commitment that he takes very seriously. And so if you're comfortable with that fact that you're dealing with him and not me, then we can move forward. But if not, Just go downtown. Just go downtown. Because we're making a covenant before God. See, that's what God said to the the Israelite men. Said verse 15, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. You belong to me. You're my property. You're my kids. To the Israelites, he said, you're my people, so I own you. As followers of Jesus, we belong to him. We, we forfeit all of our rights and response, our, our, all of our rights and all of our freedoms to follow him, whatever he wants from us. And so the, the standard is, is to have a marriage that lasts a lifetime and two people working together to make that happen. All right? So again, don't hear me say I'm not here to attack people who are divorced. That's not the point of this. Um, Divorces happen for different reasons. And I think we have to be careful to not live on the extremes. Okay? One extreme we've already said is, hey, if I get uncomfortable and I just don't like the person anymore, I'll go find somebody else. The other extreme is, it doesn't matter how many times they cheat on me or how many times they beat me, I have to stay. That's the other extreme. Okay, so let's tell you how I feel about that. <clears throat> um, before Cheris and Troy got married, um, I sat down with both of them, and I told them the same thing. And here's what I said, and this isn't straight from Jesus. This isn't out of Scripture. This is straight from Doug. I said to both of them, individually and together, If he ever intentionally hurts you physically, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the kitchen, 
find the biggest pot you can swing and hit him over the head and knock him out. I said, then call me and I'll take care of the rest of it. <laughs> and I meant every word of it, right? Troy's a great guy and I don't worry about that. I don't lose sleep over those things. And she can swing a pot, so I'm not real worried. So, but, but, but I say all that to say that, that sometimes we, we take this to such an extreme that, you know what, you have to stay and let him kill you, right? That's not what we're saying today, right? What we are saying is that two people need to go into this commitment and this covenant with the idea that this is a lifetime deal. I'm all in for the rest of my life. And every time I do a wedding ceremony, one of the lines that I say is this. So there are going to be mornings that you wake up and you look across the bed and you look at the person and you're going to say to yourself, what was I thinking when I married them? You're going to say that. But it's those very moments that you have to stop and you have to choose to love that person. You can't base it on feelings because feelings go up and down all the time. You can't base it on the soulmate stuff that they make up. You have to choose to love every single day. And you choose to love, first of all, because God called us to that. And secondly, because you love the person. So one of the things that I tell couples, and I think this is really important in all of this, is that as we go into the marriage covenant, we have to go in it with this idea that this marriage is now more important than me. This marriage is now more important than me. And if you have two people that do that, you have a relationship that thrives, that is happy, that is exciting and wonderful. If you have one person that does that, you're going to have one very miserable person. So we go into this covenant and we say, the marriage is more important than me. Man, if we get that, if we can learn to understand that, then the covenant of marriage can last a lifetime. Can last a lifetime. So I want to point out one other thing as, as we wrap this up. Here, here's what God said about the marriage. The end of verse, verse 15, So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord, the God, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. So be on your guard. He says that, be on your guard twice. Big emphasis. Be on your guard. When you think of somebody who's on guard, what do you think about? You think of somebody who is armed, who will defend to the death whatever's going on. That's what God says. Defend this marriage. Defend your relationship with your wife. Make it of utmost priority that you will fight for it. Defend it, defend it, defend it. And I think there's a couple of things that are practical for us to, to help us with that. The first is, do not put yourself in a position that will potentially compromise the marriage relationship. In other words, set firm boundaries with other people. Firm boundaries with other people. Uh, one of the big things that the world has taught us is that somebody else can make me happier. That's not true. As a new relationship, you always have to take yourself. 
So we set firm boundaries, and no one has the potential to become what our spouse already is. So we don't put ourselves in situations where that is a possibility. We don't put ourselves in situations where there is a possibility of a new relationship beginning. And as soon as we see that happening, we run, like Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. We don't allow ourselves to be in situations where things can go wrong. So if the Me Too movement hasn't taught us anything, it it should have taught us that any time we're alone with someone of the opposite sex, we must be very wary. Okay? All right, the second thing I think is important is we need to invest in the relationship. Um, And so if the marriage is more important than me, I'm going to see my spouse, I'm going to see their needs, and I'm going to work to meet those needs. Right, and, and typically in marriages, we go through cycles where that is easier than other times, but that needs to always be a priority. It needs to be something that we continuously do. And the third thing, and, and I've already addressed this, but we have to choose to love every day. Choose to love every day. And, uh, and I think it's very important for us as followers of Jesus to model for the world what love is in marriage. Right? Love is sacrificial. Love is saying that someone else is more important than me. So contrary to what the world teaches. So I want to challenge us all today to rediscover this this love for marriage. Right? That that marriage would be something that we, we nurture, that we protect, and we guard, and we make the second most important relationship we have. Your spouse ought to be the most important person on the planet to you. The single most important person on the planet. And the question is, do you live that way? Let's pray.